Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu/visit. The Killer Bees. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? Looper, Pena, no hitter for Flumber Valdez. The first lefty in franchise history to throw a no-hitter. The first lefty to throw a no-hitter in franchise history from Rivaldez. I'm Joe George filling in for Jeremy Branham alongside Blank. As always, we got John Belmer behind the glass today. What a 24 hours, Joel Blank. Justin Verlander, a no-hitter. What the hell just happened in the last 24 hours? There's so many different ways you can look at this. Because you know from an Astros fan's perspective... It just doesn't get any better because, one, you got your folk hero back that everybody loves and adores, regardless of the price and everything that we were breaking down yesterday. So they were already giddy. Then the guy who was supposed to be your ace all year does what he does. Now they're even more giddy. Now it doesn't matter as much that Javier gets his stuff back. But, oh, if he does. But here's the other narrative that I don't think people are looking at enough. Joe, if you recall, Fromber, different times during the year, had said certain games because of certain things that were happening were very important to him to try and throw a no-hitter or make a statement. Don't think for an instant that he didn't try to make a statement. I'm not saying he tried to throw a no-hitter, but what he did last night I think was a derivative of a guy that said, that's great, you're getting that guy back, but I'm the ace of this staff now. Yeah, I tweeted out the gift from, uh, I don't remember, uh, Captain something, uh, when they said, I'm the captain now. You've seen that movie. I can't remember the name of the movie now. I sound like an idiot. You really do. I know. I sound Welcome. like an idiot. Well, you're, yeah, but whatever. Because you already took my chair and thought you were high. It's stuff. not my fault. I need I need the stool. I'm you fine. need a booster chair, it's, but I use that stool every day, and I give Jeremy the good chair, and then I come in and goes, where's my chair? And you go, oh, well, I needed it. Because if oh, I, well, I'm sorry, your highness. It's not that. It's if I sit in this chair to my left here, I'm going to look like Brad Kellner and look like a two-year-old You can have this one with the back on it that Jeremy uses every day. That also has an elevator button, so you can, you I can get you the height you need. I gave you the nice one. I, no, you need you it for didn't. your age. Okay. Um, all right, so obviously... Well, for your like, beauty. Fromber was incredible last night. That was one of the most efficient no-hitters that we've seen. I think it was the most efficient no-hitter since, like, 1989. 93 pitches to get it done. You know, coming off those three starts before this, where he's pretty shaky... But then last night, to go out and dominate the way he did, it was a message to himself, to the team, to Justin Verlander, in a very positive way. Sure. He's the ace. Like, what you saw last night is the guy that was the betting favorite just a couple weeks ago to be the AL Cy Young winner, probably thrust himself back into that conversation last night after those bumpy starts. But from Rivaldez, you can't say enough about what he did because it was just incredibly impressive. Look, one thing we know, Joe, from what we've talked about in the past with Fromberg, too, is, and we've talked about this with everything from the the last dance with Jordan 
to other athletes that are professionals, you sometimes need external motivation. And sometimes when you get that external motivation, it can take you to another level. There's no doubt in my mind that the external motivation that Fromber got by seeing Justin Verlander coming back to the team, by knowing that people were already saying, here's a guy that for the first half of the season was the front runner for Cy Young that had fallen off a little bit. Here's a guy now that makes a statement not only for himself but for his team and says, you know what? We ain't going anywhere. We're here. We're ready to do it again. And all of a sudden, by the end of the afternoon, when I'm watching all the different shows, when we got done with the show, all I'm hearing is the front runner to win the American League now has to be Houston. The way they're playing, the way they orchestrated these deals, what they did and how they continue to do what they do has to have them at the forefront of the American League. Fromber did it. The rest of the team is starting to do it. You could feel the energy with the interviews you heard prior to the game from Bregman and others talking about it and Maldi. This is a massive move for this team and in the kick in the rear end that they needed at the exact right time that sets the table for another run for this ball club. Yeah, it really feels like it just yesterday changed the trajectory of of the team. And we talked about on you know this week about if the Astros do nothing, what does it mean? Are they still a World Series contender? Was it just get to the ALCS? My response at first was I think they can get to the World Series, but I didn't think they could beat a team like the Atlanta Braves. But the last 24 hours, really, it just changes your perspective in the way you look at this team because you have the lineup going. Kyle Tucker comes through in the clutch once again. You know, Jordan Alvarez has been clutch already since he returned. You know, it's just everything with this team is lining up in a way that hasn't all season. A season that's gone completely wrong. All the injuries, nonstop. I don't think Gordon Alvarez and Altuve have even played 20 games together yet still, which is remarkable. It really They're is. a half game out of the division. They've played less than 20 games together. And what this team has overcome, you can't deny. And then now that everything's kind of on track, because it's also, I don't want to discredit Jose Arquiti too much. I know he wasn't great. But in the Yankees series this weekend, Jose Arquiti and Justin Verlander are going to pitch. I yeah. don't think you ever would have said that before. Now, one of the things that I don't think people also realize is when we were talking about yesterday how Verlander got off to the slow start after he missed a couple of starts and some of the things that had changed. And, and Buster only, of all people, brought up something that was really interesting and relevant to the conversation. He said that when he was struggling early for the Mets, they did a deep dive and found out that his release point was essentially seven feet from the ground. And they said because of it, he was really on top of all of his pitches, and so he was leaving them up depending on how he released it. He wasn't getting the same bite on his breaking pitches. And they all met with the pitching coach and whatever, and they got it down to about 6'9". From seven foot, they went down to a 6'9 release point, six foot nine inches, somewhere in that range. And they said all of a sudden everything changed. All the tilt and the trajectory was down. The bite was back. The effectiveness and the ERA and everything was going with it and he became the pitcher he was again, that's a great sign if you're the Astros because Scherzer wasn't having that kind of year, and there wasn't something that you could mechanically fix. You made a mechanical adjustment with Justin Verlander, and you're getting the kind of Justin Verlander that you got for the majority of the time that he was an Astro. That's a massive ad for this team. Yeah, it really is. It's just it's remarkable how much just the, the tone and, and tenor of the fan base has changed in this short time because like all the excitement that was here yesterday – I'm not saying on four phone books. It's two phone books. Don't be telling the Twitch chat that. 
Trader? You sure. Oh, Trader. Oh, yeah. Trader. Yeah, 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 now suddenly we're buddies. Otherwise, if Branham's here, I'm the outcast. Okay, sure. Whatever. Trader Joel in right. the building. Um, the fan base has got to be feeling an incredible type of way right now. And it's interesting, you know, on the other side, because the team you're chasing, the Rangers went out and they had a great game last night. And you're still a half game back and they're playing much easier competition than you are. But going out today and getting the sweep against the Guardians is just an incredible way to start this, like, it's almost like the third, is it like the third quarter now of the season? Yeah, like there's like this weird, yeah, yeah, there's like this weird gap. Like, yeah, there was the all-star break, but this is a whole new era of season for the Astros with Altuve, Jordan, Verlander, Urquidy all coming back and into the fold at one time. It just completely changes the trajectory of the season. I've never been more confident, and this isn't just because of the no-hitter and just because they got Justin Verlander. I've never been more confident they're going to win this division by three or four games, if not more than Look, that. Look, and the other thing that I like that everybody's kind of discounting is, oh, by the way, along for the ride is Abreu, who gets red hot in August, and they were talking about it last night. Those numbers are but, crazy. But had a really good July and a really good June for a guy that everybody had written off. And when you look at what Cleveland did with a guy, and I was going to bring this up yesterday, remember when Josh Bell was the hot name and one of the guys the Astros had to have, and then if they got him, they had to resign him because he had all this potential and possibilities, and he's the guy that fit right in? For everybody that wanted to hammer on what Abreu has been and what he, what he got paid to do, thank God he wasn't Josh Bell, right? I mean, you got a guy now that has the potential for as hot as he's been getting. He might even get hotter. Bregman has been hitting the ball and getting back to old Alex Bregman. You still make sure that you have Altuve and Jordan, who look like they're going to fall right back into where they've been. And Pena in the two-hole looks like a totally different player. It's inc- that's it's, it's incredible like how good he looks. This, this in offense could be absolutely deadly going down the stretch. I really don't understand how good Jeremy Pena is in the two-hole versus everything else. It, it makes no like logical sense of why a player is that much better. I think it's mental. It's it's mental. It's uh, how much of it do you think is just the confidence of the guy that's right behind him too, not just like the mental of like I'm at the top of the lineup. I've got to do this and that, but just knowing he also besides the pitches he's facing has the security of Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez right behind him. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact too that he gets a lot of breaking pitches and pitchers can throw whatever they want to him. When he's down lower in the lineup, I do think it's mental and it's a big part of it. But I also think when you put him between Altuve and either Jordan or whoever's batting third at the time until Jordan gets back to where he normally is, there's a whole lot of fear that they've got to throw the, you know, they got to throw fastballs to him and try and get him out because they can't afford to do that to the guys around him. And he capitalizes because he's, he's a bad breaking ball hitter. But if you make a mistake or you have to throw him fastballs, he is one of the best hit fastball-hitting shortstops in, in the big leagues. He's going to hurt you. All right, he is Joel Blank. You can find him on Twitter, at Pac-Man Joel. I am Joe George on Twitter, at Joe George Radio, filling in for Jeremy Brandon. We are 22-ish hours post-trade of Justin Verlander trading away, uh, Clifford and Drew Gilbert. Has your perception of the trade changed at all? Plus, you'll hear from Dusty Baker about what a special day yesterday was. It's the Killer Bees here on ESPN 97.5. Let's get back to the constant Justin Verlander traded back to the Astros talk live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios with the Killer Bees. It is true. 
everything I catch Joe no. on, the first thing he says, it's not my fault. Somebody else's fault. All right. I'm like, can when you is it your up, fault? John, can you pull up uh, Sean Mapes 2 at some point point? see if it's on one of the quick starts? And then when you have it, find Tupac, you can't see me. And then play it for me. Whenever you got it. We can do next break whenever. I'm gonna but you ki- rolled with it. On the air when I called it out and said I love Snoop. Yeah, and yeah, you were yeah, just yeah. like, no, 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 no. It's Tupac because that's what Sean has it labeled as. It's Mape's fault. <laughs> Blame me. <laughs> There's for- so much that I could say. Blame me for everything. Here, I, I, mean, I hope I'm right, and that's the song I played. If not, I'm going to look like a total idiot. Again, again, again shocker. Hey, does your, your computer need a charge today? Uh, my, my, my charger probably won't work until it does. I think I'm okay today. Okay. All right, so yesterday, uh, obviously, you know, right towards the end of the, the 1 o'clock hour on our show, Justin Verlander is traded to the Houston Astros. It takes forever to figure out what's going back. Joel, I'm going to be honest with you. I still have no idea how much how this money thinks work. Oh, your boy Branham started to come back to our side last I night. I know they're sending $54 million, The Mets are. If the, if the, third if the year vested best. third year happens. Yes. So, basically, Justin Verlander is going to cost somewhere between like 12 to $16 million the rest of this year, you know. Next year. And then next year, and then happens, whatever happens right, the right. third year. Now that we know that, we see the return. I know, you know we've kind of made it clear on this show. I'm, I'm the prospect hugger, as Jeremy calls it, on the show of the three of us. But now that we're a little bit farther away from the trade happening, not immediate reaction, how do you feel about what the Astros got in return, what they gave up, how the money factors in? What do you think? So for me overall, I can, you know, and, you, and I am, for as much as you're the prospect hugger, I'm the finance guy. I'm always worried about at what price. What did they what did they give up or what's the dollars that make sense? In this case, I understand and I was deeply concerned that you gave up Drew Gilbert and Clifford the Big Red Dog when you thought that these were two of your top three prospects. But in return to get fifty some odd million dollars and more of half of more than half of Verlander's contract money back, it makes total sense to me because now a team that isn't going to wait the three to five years to see these two prospects get to the bigs and start to flourish is focused on guys that can help them now. Verlander's going to help you for the next two plus. Tucker's contract's going to come up. And even if you don't sign him, you're going to have millions of dollars in your account to go get free agents that can play the game similarly at positions similarly to the guys you may be losing. If Verlander calls it a career after that, you may need another pitcher as well. But you're going to have more resources to keep this team at the level they're at now going forward without having to worry about the development of a guy coming up from your farm system. When you look at all the big trades the Astros have made, and sure, there's a Josh Hader out there. There's some of the guys, Teoscar Hernandez, some of the guys you gave up that ended up being good Major League Baseball players. The thing is, more times than not, in the moves like this the Astros have made, when you look at the Grinky deal and the Cole deal and the Verlander deal, you come out smelling like a rose no matter if you won the World Series or not. Oh, by the way, you did with Verlander. So they all make sense. This one's another one that makes sense to me. And that's where, you know, really thinking about it more, I don't really care what Drew Gilbert does. I don't care. I think now I'm upset Clifford's gone because we could have called him Clifford the Big Red Dog. I was going to do it yesterday, but Brandon was a good nickname. Thank you. Like, if those guys are great and they help the Mets win a World Series, you know what, man? Like, good for them. But if the Astros win a World Series with Justin Verlander 
in the next two years, maybe three years, then honestly, just like none of it matters. Yeah, congrats you know, on your 2030 World Series championship. Exactly. Match. But for it right now, but, but again, I go back to what I said yesterday too, Joe, in, the, in passing when we were discussing this. It's one thing to say, hey, you're a team on attack mode. You're in go for it mode and you're trying to win a World Series this year. But what it means for you that it can't mean for anybody else in baseball right now is you solidify your dynasty title. You solidify it one more time. You pound one more nail in that sign that's putting that poster on the wall, that banner up there that says you are one of the best baseball teams of all time. You win back-to-back, which hasn't been done since the Yankees in the late 90s and in early 2000s. You win you win. You, uh, you go seven straight, at least American League Championship Series. You go to, what, six straight World Series or whatever it is, but you win your third World Series title in a six- or seven-year span. You can't take that away from them. That's why it's even more important for this team right now doing what they're doing and maintaining this golden era of Astros baseball. Yeah, and I think really what, what this trade comes down to is the money. You know, and yesterday before uh, the game, Jim Crane talked about how when the Max Scherzer deal went through, that Dana Brown came running into his office and told him, look at this deal and look how much money they're eating. The other thing that I thought was real, and we'll kind of get into the Jim Crane stuff here in a little bit. Sure. The other thing I thought was really interesting, though, from what Jim Crane said yesterday, they made it, I think they've made it pretty clear. Dana Brown and now Jim Crane in two separate interviews have mentioned the San Diego Padres. I think they had a deal in place for Josh Hader and Blake Snell. They, they referenced getting a reliever and a starter from the Padres. And now that the Padres ended up buying and not selling, I think that was their plan A. And then the Padres changed their plans, and then the Scherzer deal happens, and then everything, just the dominoes fell into Justin Verlander being an Astro once again. Yeah, it's interesting. But what's, what's encouraging about it is that you knew that they had irons in the fire all over the place. They weren't just sitting on their hands. They were doing what we would expect and want someone in that position to do, whether it be James Click or now Dana Brown along with Jim Crane, and keep Jeff Bagwell down the hall if you can. The biggest thing was you needed to make sure you were in on every possible deal that could help this team. It seems like that was the case. Now, we'll get into, I'm sure as well, Dusty Baker's comments after the trade was done. You, at this point, if you're an Astros fan, it doesn't matter who pulled the trigger or who said this is the deal we're going to go get. The fact is, they went and did what you wanted them to do. They made themselves better. And the fact is, along the way, you got a guy that fits right into the clubhouse that's been there and done that before, that everybody is jacked up and excited for when Dusty was making the comments earlier about, I hope my guys keep their heads up. Like, you know, I'm trying to make sure and I hope we do something because... I don't want it to affect my locker room. Well, now you can see the effect it's had on your locker room. Everybody is pumped. It's so funny because I saw Lamont and Jeremy kind of get into it yesterday after that conversation about Dusty, and we brought up Keuchel. And it's like, you know, and just the, kind of the back and forth about, you know, both those guys, are they speaking out of turn when they challenge the front office about doing enough? It's incredible that the end result in both these instances was Justin Verlander. Yeah. That in 2017, it was Dallas Keuchel saying, like, everyone else is making moves. We didn't do enough. It's disappointing. And then Justin Verlander on August 31st is a Houston Astro. Dusty Baker says, it's disheartening. We're trying to keep our head up. Like, just keep playing baseball. Justin Verlander is a Houston Astro. This yeah. is still one of the most bizarre things. Like, no one ever could have predicted what happened yesterday. No. If you thought before the season the, the Mets were going to be so bad, they would trade Max Scherzer 
and Justin Verlander, I would have probably called you the dumbest person on the planet. Well, if you want to, again, you take everything at face value. Well, if you want to believe that Steve Cohen was going to be buyer a buyer at the, the deadline and that he was still totally committed to all the things that he did, well, then you might as well believe that Dana Brown wasn't going after a starting pitcher because they're never going to tell you, and I said this, it goes back to the Brady quote that he always said, which was whenever he talked to the media, 99% of what he told them was absolute BS, but he didn't want to tell them the truth. These guys aren't going to tell you exactly how they feel, but Cohen showed his cards the minute that he traded Scherzer, and that lit a fire under every general manager in the league that said, well, there's a team that when we're, when we're constantly trying to weed out buyers and sellers because so many teams are within a couple of games of the wild card that you're looking at it going, you, it's a hard, Dana, Dana Brown even said, we're trying to get that deadline pushed down the road a little bit further so there's going to be a clear delineation between buyers and sellers so we know who to go talk to. Yeah, This is what they didn't have this year. This is why everything was up in the air. But when you saw the Mets wave the white flag, I'm sure their phone went nuts because this was the opening to get a guy that was better than the guys you were looking at if you're Dana Brown, and you realize, and I really believe this, Joe, and I said this before, and Jeremy and I went back and forth on this. I believe the reason why this deal got done, and it was the Astros and it was easier, is because Verlander went to them and and he said, I don't want to get traded to the Orioles. I don't want to get traded to the Dodgers. I'm either staying here or I'm going to Houston. It sure felt like, just based on the reporting, that it was down to just the Dodgers and the Astros. But I think you're right. I think you nailed it that it was I'm either going to be a Met or I'm going to be an Astro. And you have two choices. You either get the best return you can from the Astros or you just you're stuck with me and while they rebuild or reload in 2024 as you know Max Scherzer said that he was told by Cohen and Billy and, and Epler that their goal is now to win in 2025-2026 which like I guess that takes them out of the Otani sweepstakes potentially but it made sense that Justin Verlander wouldn't want to be there. And I always kind of felt like, you know, the thing with this that we just didn't touch on, that if you're Justin Verlander as, like, a family man and you choose this offseason to relocate to New York and you're going to get traded and you have a way to force your way back to Houston, why wouldn't you? Like, you, your house is probably still here. Like, you know all your teammates. You know the city. Everyone loves you here. I mean, Kate Upton, there was a million Kate Upton signs last night, it felt like. Well, and the fact that they all, all the females brought out their Kate Upton. Vanessa wore the the Kate Upton. The Kate Upton old school Astros. Let me tell you something. Warm up. That thing? You're going to get one, aren't you? Is a needle mover. When I worked at Lids. So it moved your needle to see women in that jacket? Stop. When I worked at Lids and she wore that for the first time, that was the most requested item my entire time working there for like two years. Okay, my question is men or women? Um, it was mostly women, but like men trying to get them for like their girlfriends or wives. I, I go, like, but I go back to the old. I don't hate it. I, like I don't it. either. I go back to the old starter jackets that the bullpen guys used to wear. Oh, I love those. the starter blue version of yes. that that sweater as a jacket was badass, and everybody wanted that. I mean, that's something that they should consider bringing back too. Marketing idea that I can give mm. the Astros again, uh, but. This is the kind of excitement because I remember Lance saying and other Lance saw Verlander and Kate Upton out and no one bothered them and no one asked for an autograph. No paparazzi was following them around. And you can see why they like it here because in Houston, you're left alone. People will buy you drinks and say thank you to you, but they're not going to bother you like they do in other cities. Yeah. And that's part of the, the warm factor that brings people in that says that's why they love Houston. And I'm sure that's why they loved it here so much. All right. How do you feel about the last 24 hours for your Houston Astros? The deadline is gone. A no-hitter has been had. 
But were you good with what the Astros did at the deadline? Did they do enough? We've already got one text here that says they disagree. We hit on that next here on the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Welcome back to the Killer Bees Nuts. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Here's Joel Blank and that Jeremy Branham guy. Joe George in for Jeremy Branham alongside Joel Blank as always. Just some historical context here for what happened last night, Joel. Uh, Martin Maldonado is now third all time in no hitters caught. Um, Only Carlos Ruiz and Jason Veritek have more. They each have caught four no-hitters. Maldi's caught three. Dusty Baker has managed five no-hitters. That's tied for fourth most. And the Astros have the most no-hitters since 1962 with 16 all across baseball. Let me ask you something on that because I heard Granado and Lance debating and Lance saying, or either one of them, one of them said, the combined no-hitters aren't real no-hitters. Okay, so we're going to do this later. We're going to power rank the five that have happened since 2019. Okay. I was thinking about though that a lot and where I view them. It's a, I would say I agree. I think the exception is Javier's, like the Aaron Sanchez one with like Joe uh, thought he was funny Biagini yeah. that they I think it was versus the Mariners in 2019. Like that one doesn't hold up as much as a normal no hitter. Christian Javier's is such a different level because in the World Series. And and how far he went in the game too, right? Because the Biagini one, I think they used six pitchers. I mean yeah. when you the more pitchers you use, the easier it is because it's less taxing on your arm. I agree with Granado that it, it's so much harder to be a, a, just a, a no hitter all by yourself. Because you're you know you're look, aside from what Fromber did last night, you're probably way over the hundred pitch mark. So your arm is fatigued. Mentally you're fatigued. You're just trying to hang on and put it somewhere in the zone where it doesn't get crushed late in the game, and you hope it's hit at somebody so that you can finish the thing off. And you look at it, and through the years, some of the guys, including even this year, once they throw a no-hitter or they throw 100-and-some-odd pitches and overextend themselves, they're basically gassed the rest of the year and sometimes for the rest of your career. The Mets pitcher, and his name escapes me right now, but the one Mets pitcher that threw the no-hitter, he threw 138 pitches. And oh. he was an all-star. And he never, I mean, never was the same pitcher after he threw the no-hitter. I do think we have to look at these, like, in different historical contexts. A combined no-hitter, you know, maybe even just as, as five years ago versus today. Like, the way that pitch counts have gone up, like, these guys are not going deep into games. You know, if Frommer got to 115 pitches last night through eight innings, he's probably not finishing the game. Like we would Johan like Santana. To, oh. Johan Santana threw a no hitter and threw like 138 or more pitches. Yeah. And he was never the same again and needed arm surgery. So I would say that like I think going forward, I think we have to see a, a no hitter, a combined no hitter viewed in a different way. But you're right about the the context of also how deep they go into the game. If a pitcher goes seven innings of a no hitter, and that's when he's throwing 130 pitches, and he can't go two more. Like, of course not. Like that's that's a different conversation. Going 80 pitches, and you've only gone five innings, or just going five innings overall, and four other guys carrying you to the finish line. I don't view that one in the same it, context. It, it, for me as well, it's difficult. It's a great accomplishment from a team standpoint, but I don't think it carries the same weight 
and is is of the same magnitude of an individual no hitter. It just to me isn't. Now, like you said, when you talk about what Javier did in the World Series, that's a whole different animal because just what he did for the amount of time he was on the mound alone was a stellar, unbelievable performance. But when they finish off the deal, now that that just shows you the overall team focus and the pitching staff's abilities, and that's a fantastic accomplishment. But it still is not the same as a guy that goes into the World Series and throws a no-hitter. It's the closest you ever got. You're a college pitcher. Well, I threw several in high school. Okay. And and, and, and in leagues below that. In college, I think I threw a two-hitter. Okay. I think I threw a two-hitter twice. But, I mean, look, it's no easy accomplishment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as the hitting gets better, obviously, it's even more and more challenging. And I remember, you know, I, I one game I think I threw a three-hitter and won one to nothing. And in the last inning, I had the bases loaded and nobody out. And I looked in the bullpen, like, several times, and there was nobody getting up. And my manager came came out to me, and he said, this is all on you, so get it done. And I just looked, and I went, oh, my God. And I had zero left and somehow got out of it. And sometimes it feels better than a no-hitter. But at the same time, that's why when you talk about what he was able to do and only throw, what, 93 pitches. That's incredible. It was a masterpiece. Yeah, the, the 93 pitches in that short amount of time uh, to throw a no-hitter is, I think it was, it was 1989, I think it was like, or 1993, somewhere around there, a, a no-hitter was thrown with less than 90 pitches. But it's been that long since it's been done. So it's incredibly efficient by Fromber. What was it, like the sixth inning? He threw six pitches? Last night, his middle innings. Yeah, I think correct. he had. Yeah, I think he had three innings where he had like twelve or less. Yeah, where you just were like, "Oh my god!" If you want to talk about the perfect outline for a guy that's going to have plenty left in the tank in the ninth inning, he was following it to a T. Okay, we know that the the Guardians' offense isn't very good. If they if you play a if you throw a no hitter against like a really bad team, does it hurt the no hitter at all? One more time, like if you play a really bad team. Like the Guardians' offense isn't great. If the, if you Michael throw no, Bourne kind of indirectly like, threw shade on it last night. Like if you throw a no hitter versus the A's, I it's like almost you get like three quarters credit. Like do you get full credit? Here's if why he gets full credit because he kept the pitches down. Yeah, because of the fact that he faced the minimum. Like because I don't care what major league lineup you're f- facing to throw the to throw the absolute minimum in a game. And to have your pitches less than ninety-five, you get full credit. Yeah, but otherwise, Definitely. look. For I, I've been the one saying, look, you, everybody's anointing Brandon Belak when he threw back-to-back scoreless outings Playing against the Rockies, the Rockies yeah. right? Or if, if one of the younger pitchers beats the A's, and you're like, okay, Jeremy calls them the single A's. There's different names that everybody has for him because they know they're not a real major league team. Then you're like, eh, does that really count? But what he did because of the efficiency. To me, solidifies the fact that it's it counts. A, to me, it's a no hitter, so it counts no matter what. Right. Um. I. It's just it. There. It doesn't matter if you face the A's, if you play the Yankees, if you're playing in the World Series. If you throw one, if you're part of one, I think for the most part they're all created equal in some ways because it's such a an accomplishment that so few pitchers still have really accomplished. Um. Do you think the Astros did enough at the deadline? We got this text in the last break from six zero three zero. Sure, we get a deal done for old man JV, but guys, this offense is stagnant and inconsistent. We needed offense. I disagree. I, I think that what I was saying a week or so ago was this is why I prioritized starting pitcher first is because you essentially made two moves offensively to help your ball club without doing a thing. You got Jordan back. You got Altuve back. 
And we already saw Jordan came out of the gate swinging from the time he got back and hit the big bomb in the first game of the Cleveland series to solidify the fact that he's back. Altuve continues to get better and better with each game. Now, remember, he didn't have a rehab stint either, but yet he's found it. And then you think about it and go, okay, it it all, I understand from a texter's point of view, it's all fun and games, and it's real simple to point the finger and say they should have gotten a bat. Where are they going to play? Because whether Brantley comes back or not, and I'm sorry, I I said I won't say that name because I'm not counting on him, and I, I don't think he's, I can't factor him in anymore. But even if he doesn't come back, Jordan's going to be your left fielder in the playoffs. Yiner, the way he's playing right now, you can't take him out of the lineup. And if if now you've added a pitcher that requests Maldi be his catcher in Verlander, that means probably three out of the five starters, even if you don't go five, are going to be Maldi's. you got to place, find a place for Yiner, so he's going to be your DH. Tell me where an extra bat was going to play. I agree. That That is where I, I don't have an issue with the Astros not doing anything else at the deadline. Because you got a good bullpen arm in Kendall Graveman. You made a great acquisition in Justin Verlander, a deal that long-term could likely move a guy like Hunter Brown to the bullpen or J.P. France or Akiti in the playoffs. So you doubly strength your bullpen that way. And I think the Maldi thing is the, is kind of the X factor here, is that if, if he's Verlander and, and Fromber's guy, well, that's game one and two of any, post, of any postseason series. Yep. And your lineup is at its best when Diaz is in it. The way Jake Myers is playing recently, He's made a case that he should be in the lineup much more frequently at center field and Chaz McCormick at left. So I think between Diaz and Jake Myers and Dubon, you have enough. Like you can fill that one hole in your lineup creatively, whether that's in center field, left field, catcher, or DH, and move stuff around that this lineup is good enough to win the World Series. Yes, totally agree about the inconsistent part. This offense has been brutally inconsistent for two years now, but still when it's at its best, it's better than pretty much anyone. Like the only team that might be that's close is the Atlanta Braves. I think, well, look, I think the on the flip side of this, you got to give the Rangers their flowers. And I know total Arlington sure. loves this, but the, the, the fact is, is this team has been the best offensive team in the American league all season. But then you have to start factoring in on the flip side of the Astros, which I said are getting healthier by the minute. And the fact that you've got Jordan and Altuve back, you might get the icing on the cake at some point. And even if you don't, the production you're getting from everybody else, including guys you were doubting at the start of the year like Bregman and Abreu, makes this team, with their playoff experience, the most potent and potentially the most powerful in the, in, in the entire American League. When yep. you look at the Rangers on the flip side, you lost Jonah Heim. And he's, I think he's out for the season. We talked about this we yesterday, talked about yesterday. Off the air a little bit. but I, The fact that they went and made a trade late for a catcher tells me the same way that they went and got Montgomery after already getting Scherzer, the same way the Blue Jays went and traded for a shortstop when they knew that Bichette was more than just a knee tweak. These are the kind of things where a team tells you without telling you, we just lost the guy for the year. That's my biggest takeaway from the Rangers at the deadline is that they made a bunch of trades to fill gaps. They were CYA and Joe. They were covering their ass. The only thing, they have not made a trade that wasn't like an ultimate necessity for an injury Besides the role as Chapman, and they made that trade because, trade because their bullpen sucks. Like, you don't need Max Scherzer if you have DeGrom. He's out. You don't really need another catcher if Heim's not out. He's out, and I agree with you. I think Eovaldi is done for the season, and that's what Jordan Montgomery was brought in to do. So while the, ain't, the Rangers added more, 
I just I don't think they added enough to where there's some incredible team now because they lost one of their best players or a couple of their best players this season. So I just I, I think the Astros did plenty fine at the deadline, even though they didn't get a bat. All right. If Tillman Fertitta or Cal McNair walked into their GM's office and said, make this trade, I don't care what it costs, we would probably have a very different reaction than when Jim Crane does. How do you feel about Jim Crane being this heavily involved, once again, after what we saw the offseason? That's next here on the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Welcome back to the Killer Bees Nuts, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Here's Joel Blank and that Jeremy Branham guy. Joe George and Joel Blank today. Jeremy Brandon will be back tomorrow. We're talking about the trade deadline. Justin Verlander. Cromber Valdez is no hitter. So much stuff has happened. Uh, but when Dusty Baker met with the media yesterday, Joel, he referenced that the big man upstairs helped get the deal done. He ain't talking about God or Jesus or whoever else you believe in. He's talking about Jim Crane. That Jim Crane is the one that went in and made sure this deal got done to get Justin Verlander back in Houston. Just like Jim Crane was the one that seems like he stopped Justin Verlander for signing with the Blue Jays, I think it was. Wasn't it him and Brantley were going to the Blue Jays for like 12 hours? No, it was Springer and Brantley. Springer and Brantley were going to the Blue Jays. But there was somewhere Justin Verlander was going to go. It felt like for a short period of time when he was coming off his injury. And then once again... Wasn't it the Angels? I think maybe it was the Angels. Like they just... Jim Crane says, I need my golfing buddy. We got to keep JV home. Got to keep Kate Upton home. And like, now he's back. So if Tillman Fertitta did this or Cal McNair did this, I think we would feel very differently. You know, if if Cal McNair, well, Cal McNair, I think you're right. Because if Cal McNair did this and said, I'm telling you to draft CJ Stroud, and then the fallout is trading all that draft capital. For Will Anderson, which we've alluded to that that's a very real possibility. It's part of the reason why, you know, you guys have been so critical of the trade and I've been there a little bit as well. You know, it's it's an owner meddling where they really shouldn't belong. Like I get it's your team, but you should let the the operations people, you know, run that department. If Tillman Fertitta this offseason said we're getting James Harden back no matter what. You you have the office down the hallway. You're Nick Casario. And yeah. you, you hear like, you know, the sound of like when you're, the air gives way in your Nikes and you're walking through a puddle and you hear the... Yeah. Well, you hear that coming down the hallway and you hear, oh, hey, Nick, you're a really smart guy and I really believe in your abilities. I'd like you to go trade for Trent Dilfer. Is he available? I need you to make that move now. Make it happen. You'd be like, what the hell's going on here? And it goes back to when Terry Collins told the story the one time about how... Drabeck was on the mound and threw, like, a complete game shutout. And they were during batting practice, and the clubhouse guy says, hey, Terry, Drayton's on the phone. Yeah. And Terry says, excuse me, to the media, I'll be right back. And he picks up the phone, and he comes back, and he's shaking his head, and he's kind of red in the face, and you can tell he's pissed off. And one of the media members says, what was that about? And he goes, Drayton wants to know why Drabeck's not pitching tonight. (laughs) I mean, if you got a clueless owner, you're right. Walking down the hallway and telling your general manager what to or It's like the Dan Snyder story we talked about. When they did all their work on who they were going to draft, and he says, no, you're going to take the quarterback I want you to take, and then that quarterback falls flat on his face, and it it doesn't work out. I think Tillman, more than Cal, would have the respect of the room to at least 
have a conversation with his basketball people. But as a fan, I like, I think there's a fine line, right? I like owners that are invested because we said that in a lot of cases, owners realize that wins and losses are just icing on the cake. They just worry about the bottom line and all that money they're raking in every year, especially like NFL owners. Yeah. So do you have any issue with Jim Crane? You know, he's Jim Crane's a baseball guy. He's been a baseball guy his whole life. And by the way, Joe, the other thing why I don't have a problem with to answer the question is because of the fact that his track record when he went out and got a Justin Verlander, when he went out and said, let's go pull the trigger and do what needs to be done, they worked out. That's And that's the thing is that, like, if Cal McNair told the Texans to take C.J. Stroud and then the fallout was giving up all that capital and, and taking Will Anderson and it works, like, Cal McNair gets kind of put in a different light as an owner you know, because, yeah, he had three coaches in three or four coaches in four years, if you include Bill O'Brien, and then you know, he made this big trade. If it works out in the end, you get a pass. And that's like I have zero issue with Jim Crane because, look, it's out there on Astros Twitter. Like you can find people that are upset with the Astros because they are hardcore prospect huggers. And they are upset the Astros traded Drew Gilbert. They are not happy that Jim Crane got involved. They're using that stupid trade value site that says Jose yeah. Altuve is a negative value. That site also says Justin Verlander is a negative value. I strongly disagree because you can't factor in contracts and what that guy means to this team specifically. So I have no problem with Jim Crane being involved. The only person I'm curious is how Dana Brown feels. Not that it really matters. But, like, if Dana Brown really did run into Crane's office and be like, look what Scherzer's did, let's make the call on Verlander, that's one thing. As long as they're on the same page, I'm A-OK with whatever Jim Crane wants to do because all he does is win championships and win baseball games, and he has completely turned around this city in terms of expectations for what an organization should look like. Yeah, here's the thing, because I called you the minute that I saw Dusty's quote from Minute Maid. This should not be a slap in the face to Dana Brown, but there's no doubt in my mind when Dusty said, I want to thank the man above who made this deal happen. He ain't thanking Dana Brown. He's not thank because then he followed it up by saying, and then Dana Brown and his staff for taking care of the particulars to get the deal done. That tells me all I need to know. Jim Crane, who has every right to do this as the owner of the team, basically took control of the situation, grabbed the bull by the horns and said, go get him. That's who I want. I don't care who you've been talking to. Make it happen. Credit to Dana Brown, who did. I don't think it's a slap in the face to Dana Brown because this is the one thing that people don't understand. When you have the money and the financial means to go buy a team, it's your dream your way. General managers would love the ideal situation of, I don't have the money to buy my own team, but I'm expecting a guy who did to turn over the keys to me. Dana said he gave me the steering wheel, but he didn't give you the keys. I think the keys that I I really, I, I almost take away what Dusty said as kind of what you've been talking about with the no trade clause as I'm sure this is tampering. Who cares? I, I feel like Jim Crane and Justin talked, you know, cause Maldonado said that him and Justin Verlander were talking the, yesterday morning the night be- and, like, and the night before and the night before yeah. it's like, they all knew this deal was going down. So I feel like when he, when Dusty says like, he thanks Jim Crane, it's Jim Crane saying, Justin, like it's time for you to come back. I'm sorry. We didn't pay you this off season. We made a mistake. You got your money. You're gonna. The Mets are gonna eat a bunch, and but like you're still you're coming home to Houston. Do you want to do it? And the answer was yes. I think that I don't know that it went that far. I think it was more along the lines of you want to come back here. Are you happy there? 
And if he said, I'm miserable, this isn't what I signed up for. And, you know, the one thing that I would say, Joe, where I would, I would question as much as I said, I thought that there was a chance that Justin could actually have total control of this situation. If he went to the Mets and said, it's either the Astros or I stay. And that puts all the pressure on the Mets. And it also puts pressure on if the Astros know that, then they wouldn't have given up as much as they gave up, I don't think, unless they value the money more than the prospects. But I do believe that I've been involved personally and, and you know indirectly with enough of these to know. You can call the agent or you can just not tell anybody and you can call him on his cell phone or text him and just say, what's the deal? And you could find out all you need to know about you know his situation, but I truly believe it was maybe one, two other teams. But I believe if Verlander really put his foot down and said, "This is what, this is where I want to go," that the Astros probably could have either taken a prospect back or gotten the money they got. To me, if if there was another team involved, the Astros never would have got this deal done because I know we all like Drew Gilbert, but he is a late twenties draft pick that has played in Double A. Like he was not a high first round pick, and he was drafted by by a GM that's not here. And you have a guy in Clifford who's what an eleventh round pick. And yes, I know people are going on Twitter. Oh, he'd be the number two prospect in the next thirty days when our update came. The Dodgers had way better prospects than anything the Astros had to offer. So if there was another team that was really involved, I think Justin Verlander would would have been there. Like what the Mets got back. I'm sure there's a lot of Mets fans that feel like it's not good enough and that they kind of got screwed by Justin Verlander saying he only wants to be an Astro. Because I would not be shocked if when JV meets with the media this weekend in New York, if he just outright says that. That says, I am going to only take a trade to the Houston Astros. And I think a lot of that's just because of Jim Crane. Yeah, and look, I think that's the other thing. You like a guy like Crane who, when he has put his hands in the cookie jar previously, good things have happened. Now you don't worry about it like you'd worry about it if a Dan Snyder did this or if you know some other eccentric owner decided at the last minute, I don't care what you want to do. This is what I'm telling you you're going to do. Jim Ursay and other guys have been known to do those kind of things, and the fans cringe. I don't think any Astros fans cringe when Jim Crane, because you know what it says? He's in go-for-it mode. He's not afraid to pay for what he wants, and he's going to get top-line, splashy talent that can help you immediately. All right, we just got this text. Astros could have signed Verlander without giving up anything. This is a narrative, and look, it's true, but it's been going around Twitter since the trade happened as part of the reaction to the deal. We'll talk about that next year. He's Joe Blank. I'm Joe George filling in for Jeremy Branham. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5.